really interesting because it's going to play into our conversation because this is stuff I have no idea. I mean, I, I don't have a ton of idea about, you know, my, my wife, well, my wife was same thing. Actually, my wife was a teacher by trade. And when we had our, our first, she didn't want to go back to work either. And uh, fortunately, that really coincided. She had enough. Um, she took out some additional insurance while she was a teacher so that like my third year of optometry school, she never had to, like she got paid as a teacher because she had this additional insurance that she bought. Wow. Uh, and then, yeah, so then, um, so her maternity leave was a year long. And then my fourth year, I wound up getting a ton of scholarships. So it basically covered our living expenses. And so then when I got out of school, you know, she never had to, she never had to go back to working outside of the home Mm -hmm. and, um, and that's what she wants to do. So, but I I would think, man, it's now to do that. The, the debt load that students have is so high. My, I mean, my debt load in 2008 was high, but it wasn't what they have now. Right. Yeah. Was that the same? Yours was less in 2002. Oh God. Yeah. It was way less. What the numbers I hear now is astounding, you know, $200,000, you know, coming out of optometry school, you're not going to make that the first year you're out of optometry school. How do you pay that ever? So yeah. I know. So were you in a better spot then to be able to do that? Where you felt like you had the the luxury or you just, I mean, uh, you felt like you really, how did that work for you all? So my husband and I have always learn the importance of living within our means, whatever <laughs> that is. And so we just understand whatever decision we make, we got to find a way to live within the confines of that decision. So at that time, he, um, my husband is a, has a master's degree in psychotherapy. He is a, a counselor. And he had gotten, we both graduated around the same time. You know, we're both in school. And he had gotten his master's a couple of years before I did. And he found a job here in Florida. And when he found the job in Florida, it was, you know, moving from Boston to Florida, the pay cut was considerably different. And with what he was making, we decided that we were going to find uh, an apartment and be able to live with one car so we can fit the budget of what he was making. And that's how we did it. And we bought when we bought our first house, uh, he said to the realtor, I want a house that we can afford that if my wife never works, that we never have to worry about. So that allowed us to live a very simple, modest life. Um, you know, I had people that I know who knew that I graduated as an optometrist. They were like, you're a doctor, you know, you should be living somewhere more fancy or you know um more luxurious but for us that's not what was important so we made that sacrifice in the beginning because i wanted to spend time with my son did um do you still do that hello and welcome to the crystal podcast on iCode media today i had a great conversation with dr loretta justin who practices in Orlando, Florida, and also is the uh, founder of Optometry Divas. And we had a really fun conversation. I learned a ton about Loretta and about her mission and her goals. And um, it's pretty awesome to see what she's doing. So please enjoy our conversation. As always, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, write a review, share it with your friends, and support those who support us. I think we're in the best time to practice optometry. Yes, on this podcast, we've discussed the expansion of corporate entities, vertical integration, online retailers, and unproven technology. But I truly believe 
If we're taking care of our patients and offering the newest and best options for their eye health and vision, these disruptors will only serve as a clear distinguisher between what patients can get from them and what they expect from us. In our practice, we've had a ton of success for our patients in terms of comfort, vision, and stability with proven optical designs of Cooper Vision's Biofinity Torque. The Biofinity Torque Multifocal combines that torque design and its rapid stabilization with the flexibility and customization of the Biofinity Multifocal Lens. This provides our presbyopic astigmatic patients with an excellent option for minimizing their dependence on glasses. Check out the show notes and link to Cooper Vision's website for contact lens parameters and more release information. Did, um, do you still do that? With my kids? Yeah. <laughs> no, oh, well not, not just that, but do you still, are you still, you know, sometimes as you, so you made the decision in three years, three years later to, to start practicing. Have you always been able to maintain a a lifestyle that you don't feel like I got to do this? Otherwise, I can't do that. Yeah. So we understand in life, every decision has a price, whatever it is you choose to do. If uh, I decide that I'm going to be home more often, like when I when I was working full time in my practice, I cut my schedule down to about two and a half days where I would see the patient for that time because I wanted to be home when my kids came home from school. Like it's a whole story of how, you know, I, I got into optometry diva, the idea came to me um, when I, I began to get back to where I needed to be. And um, because of that, I understood that would affect the revenue I will make because if I worked seven days a week, my revenue would be higher. If I work two and a half days a week or three days a week, my revenue will be lower. But because I wanted the time, I chose the time over the revenue. But that, I understood that that was my choice and what I wanted to yeah. do. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think it's one of the beauties of, of I think, of optometry in general. But, but, you know, there's a lot to be said for, you know, life in general is that you you can decide. I mean, we're in a, we're in a beautiful spot where we can decide. It, 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 largely, I, I believe this. Maybe it's not true, but I do believe it. That in our country, you know, you can you can make if you really want to. I mean, if, even if I was making twenty bucks an hour, I could make, you know, what I could work a hundred hours a week and make twenty bucks an hour, and I make two grand a week, right? Yeah. I make a hundred grand a year if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. Now, there's limits on that, and there's scales on that. But um, when you realize that you can you can say, look, I can I can do the things I want to do, but there's a they're going to come at a cost. I may not. I may not have as nice of a house or I may not take as many trips, but I get to have what is important to me. Yes. And that's- you know, optometry divas, is, is that, is, does that actually, is that a, uh, a core principle that you really think about that you all talk about uh, in your group? Or is that, is that just, are you unique in that? What, what are your thoughts? So one of the things we focus a lot on optometry divas is our core values. You know, I talk about, deciding what's important to you. Because the mission of Optometry Divas is to empower, connect, and promote the success of women OD. And one of the issues as a woman that I know I experienced was the feeling that I didn't have a choice. I had to do this. I had to work five days because I own a practice and that's the norm. I had to grow a practice to be a million dollars because that's the definition of success. If I don't do that, then I'm not successful. So I was bound by all these ideas um, that was created, but that was not necessarily right for me. And then I felt sometimes we don't feel empowered to choose 
I can have the life that's right for me. However, I just need to understand that there will be a price for that. And that's one of the things we talk about in Optometry Divas is understand the choices that you make have consequences, but you do have that, the power to choose. And that's one of the things that's important to us. We talk about that quite often. Do you know that that men in optometry need that that counseling as well? <laughs> well, we no, all it's do, so right? true. <laughs> yeah, we all, do. we all do, Chris. Because you know, I, I shared a story of how the idea of optometry divas came to me. So I took some time off to stay home with my son. But by the time I get pregnant with my second son, um, we we actually had the practice in 2006 when my second son was about two years old. And um, that's when we started the practice. It was it started cold with no patients. And that's a whole interesting story on, in itself. And so I had two, two small kids, uh, three and two, when I started. And then I started the practice. First day we opened was October 15, 2006. October 16, 2007, I give birth to my third child. Just do the math. Yep. So I had my first <laughs> practice from zero in the very first year I did it pregnant while I had two children. Um, it was insane. And I was pursuing this goal of success and I wanted to, to be able to achieve that because I, I, I got this profession and I want to be able to do that for myself. And it just spiraled down in the wrong direction for me. Hmm. So hmm. a few years later, my practice. Well, can I ask you well? something about that? Sorry to interrupt. The, these Zoom things are are challenged when I when I've got a follow up question. But <laughs> the um, so was it you? It, it spiraled downward. I know you're going to get into the story, but it when you say it spiraled spiraled downward, was it because you were becoming too successful in your practice too quickly, and it wasn't fulfilling your your main purpose, or was it because uh, the practice was struggling because you didn't have time to devote? What 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 is that like? Well, at work? first, the practice was struggling, and I had to learn how to become an entrepreneur. I didn't know. You, you know, you went to optometry school. We don't come out knowing how to do this unless we had someone else who had a business who taught us. Um, I'm originally from Haiti, and my parents didn't really have any type of entrepreneurial experiences. So we were all learning this thing um, for the first time on our own. And so originally it was very difficult because it requires a lot of time to grow a practice, but I invested the time and worked on it and, you know, was able to develop it. And over the course of five years, it started growing really fast. And I was getting to where I could see 30 patients in one day, 40 patients in one day. So it was picking up really good. But what was happening is that I had no life. <laughs> I yeah. just, I, I never breathed, and this is my personal story, um, and it wasn't what I wanted. I, I liked, I like waking up and sipping coffee, and I like, <laughs> I really do, and I like not having to run so fast. But that's what my life was like at that time. And what was hard for me is I didn't have the time that I wanted to invest for my children who were in elementary school at that time, and they really needed me. And it was one, one, um, one night, my son, my oldest one said something to me. It kind of snapped me out of where I was going because I wanted to hit that million dollar gold dash that year. I was going to do it, you know, and, um, and I was close. And <laughs> uh, 
you know, I'll tell you the story. I came home one day and as an OD, you know, you have those days where every single patient who comes in is going to go blind today. Like everybody had something terrible, retinal detachment, they got tumors, all kinds of crazy things going on. <laughs> and it was one of those days. And, you know, I was seeing a lot of patients. So I came home really late. It was like 9.30, quarter to 10. And he was working, scribbling together to put a, um, a project together. And so I kind of did a quick check in my mind because I usually help him with homework. And I didn't remember this project. So I said, what are you doing? He said, I have a project due tomorrow. And, you know, at that time he was nine. So bedtime is way, he's way past his bedtime. What are you still doing up? And he said, the project is due tomorrow. And I said, well, why didn't you tell me? How did I not know about this? Why didn't you tell me about it? So we could have worked on it beforehand. And he said, I didn't want to bother you, mommy. Because you're so busy all the time. You don't have any time for us. I think you need some help. And whoa, how he I, was how old? About nine. He was about nine oh. years old. So you know, I still can't. I still choke up every time I say it because oh. those words just like like oh. they hit you, goes right through your heart. And um, so anyhow, uh, that day, that night, my husband and I we had a conversation. And I said, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I'm missing on what's most important for me. I love the practice. I love what I do, but I, I love my children. And I can't sacrifice one over the other. We got to figure something out. Anyway, um, what I ended up doing is hire, I hired an associate to come and cover some of the other days for me. And like, it changed my entire life, that one conversation I had with my son. Um, but it, it it helped me remember why it's important to really think about what you do when you're doing it and decide, is it right for you? Like I said, I was succeeding, but I was not succeeding in the right direction for me. I was not happy. I was also sick. It's a really, really long-winded story, but that was just because I wasn't happy where I was or what I was doing and I needed a change. So my son's harsh words, were exactly what I needed to hear to make me realize to put the first things first. And then do, do you feel like when, when you have in your, in your group with Autometry Divas, is this a, a similar story that, that comes around and, and you have a lot of these realizations or are people, they don't have to make the mistakes and I'll call them mistakes. They're not clearly mistakes, but, but they have to come to that realization where they are, they were, are there a lot of them that realize that well in advance? Like, for example, when I, I call it a mistake, but like I realized it during COVID, almost the exact same thing that you that you came to. It's like, yeah. look, you build a practice that is, you know, a multi-million dollar practice, right? And it's not yeah. just me. It's not just you. It's, other, you know, million dollars, two million dollars, whatever it is. Yeah. And and then immediately within two weeks, you see that the value of that practice could yeah. go to zero. And yeah. then you're just like, holy cow, what? why am I doing all this? I mean, it doesn't mean that you stop doing it. Right. But I guess my point is, is I was making that mistake as well. Yeah. For me, it was COVID where I was like, this is crazy. I, I, I can spend all this time with my kids. I'd much rather do that. Yeah. So how do I figure that out? How do I do that to have, a, to continue the practice to grow? Because I love to see patients and we want to be accessible to those patients. So I guess my, my question really is, is this a, are the mistakes, I'll call the mistakes that you and I had to, to challenge you, right? Challenges, yeah. right? Those realizations. Is that just you and I, or does everybody have to go through that in your experience? 
So when people join our group, we ask them, what do you think is the biggest challenge that, uh, since we focus on women ODs, what do you think is the biggest challenge that women ODs or professionals face in their lives? And 92% of them said work-life balance. And that's kind of how they word it. And, um, you know, when I ask, what does that mean? That for us moms, we deal with the mommy guilt, the guilt of not being there. I missed the first word. I missed the first step. And so that's a guilt that you carry. So there's always that tug of war of, I want to do this. I want to build my profession. Professionally, I want to grow. I want to build my business. But personally, I also want to be there. I want to be present. I want to actually live the life that I'm working so hard to mm-hmm. build. So I think everybody feels that um, tug of war in inside. And what, what we talk about is you got to start at the beginning. This is what I talk about all the time when we do our events. You got to begin in the beginning. So go there, go back and start with what do you believe, your core beliefs. So identify what those are. What is it that you believe in your life? Then identify your values. What? are the things that are important to you? What are your core values? Actually, we act, we have a, a, like a mind, uh, I'll think of it in a minute, a mastermind group that we do when we talk about identifying core values. We have a whole uh, a series of questions that we go through. And it's this, little, it's this program that I created to help people identify what's important to them. So once we kind of figure out what are your top five, what top three or top one core value, what are those things, then you need to talk to your your spouse, your mate, and find out what are their core values. Then you got to decide. And here's the thing, you have to choose what you do. I think most of us fall into things and we do them every day because that's just what we do. But we're not consciously choosing to do this today. Mm. And this is what I, I encourage people to do is make a conscious choice if you want to work seven days a week and you want to see a hundred patients a day, it's your prerogative. Do that. Enjoy it. Be happy with it. If you don't want to do it, then don't be <laughs> jealous of somebody else is doing it. <laughs> Pick what you yeah. want to do and do that and be content with what you get. Cause you may not make as much money as someone who's working seven days a week being a hundred patients. Yeah. A day. So, yeah, totally. But, what I focus on is identifying your core beliefs, your core values. What is your mission? What is your vision? What is your purpose? Those five things. And you start there and then it helps you get some clarity. Then you can make decisions as to do I reduce my hours? Do I want to, what do I want to do then? But it will be easier to know what to do when you understand where you're coming from. You know, it's a, it's, it's great that you bring that point up because one of the things I, I always not chuckle is probably the wrong word, but maybe it's the word I'm thinking of. But when I, when I see on social media or on different posts, people complaining about X, Y, or Z insurance c- company, you know, I'm so, why, why do they do this? And they shouldn't, I shouldn't have to use their lab and they're pay, not paying me. And it's like, you, you, you chose to take you that. Signed. You exactly. signed the contract. Yeah. So, so like, so when I, when I think about that, it's like, you know, for me, I'm like, yeah, do I take vision plans? I take a couple vision plans mm-hmm. in my practice. I don't take them all, um, mm-hmm. but they are, they are a conscious decision, right? And I'm not going to be upset at that decision I made. And if I am, then I need to reevaluate that decision. So I think that's, it's really, um, 
really intuitive that you that you apply that to a lot of things. And I think it's you know it's not it's intuitive, but I, it's not something I consciously think of. Right, is being conscious about all those things. Right. But it's very yeah. similar. It's like why would I be upset? If I'm if I'm making half as much as the other guy, but the other guy's working twice as much as I am, right? right? I can't be upset yeah. at him for that. Um, yeah. So then you 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 said that one of the first questions that you ask um, your members now are uh, is what is the say that again? It was what is the most what, what do you think is the biggest challenge? Biggest challenge as a woman? Uh, yeah. Can I ask you what do you think the biggest challenge to optometry is in general? You gonna get me in trouble, Chris? <laughs> <laughs> well, if I ask the right questions, I just might. <laughs> or you know what? It'll be a good conversation if I ask the right questions. <laughs> I, I think it falls into line with what you were just mentioning earlier: is understanding the our understanding our worth as optometrists, the value of our profession, and what we do for our patients. Um, you know, I hear people talk about how patients don't appreciate what they do or don't want to pay or whatever it may be. That does not happen to me in my practice because when they come, I, they know and I let them know the value of what I do. And as soon as I explain it, I think having that understanding myself that I help people see, I can't think of a greater thing than that, than, than to help people see. And if someone doesn't really get that, like vision is not important to you, you're not the right patient for me. So you can, you know, go somewhere else. I mean, you know, there's many places for different people. You just, you don't fit my practice. And we've had patients that we've had to part ways. And um, I've had patients where we stopped the pre-testing. I'd walk in and I said, we're not going to be able to meet your needs today. I thank you so much for coming in, but this is not going to work out. And I do not want you to be unhappy and be disappointed. Let me make a list and I can give you some referrals because I know what I do is important and I want to work with patients who value what I do. So um, I think we need to really evaluate what we do and see the value of it. And then also to understand that we are responsible for our choices, that there, you know, there are companies out there and those companies are responsible to their shareholders and they have to meet the responsibilities of having their shareholders. They're not there to baby, baby feed us. They're not there to watch over us. They're not there to take care of us. They're not. We have that responsibility for ourselves. So I think it's important that the companies are held responsible for the choices and the decisions they make overall. However, individually, as an optometrist, I think we should take responsibility for our own success. So that, that is my take on it. Why do you think that's so hard? This is the exact same conversation. So I've got an extern in my practice right now and we went to lunch yesterday and well, it wasn't just at lunch, but that was the common thread of our conversation was, was not every patient needs to be in my practice. And mm. I don't need to feel like if a patient uh, is mad at me or doesn't like the way we do things, then uh, that, that, or they, they don't think that I'm worth whatever, whatever my time is worth then God bless you. There's, there's yeah. 10, 15, 30 other guys in, in mm -hmm. Omaha that, that can take care of you easily and they'll charge you a whole lot less. And, and I would contend that maybe they just give you a different experience. Right. Mm -hmm. it, and it's, I'm not saying it's worse. It's just a different experience. Right. Yeah. So, you know, so, um, so my point in, in that is, uh, why is that so hard for, for, 
generally in our profession, seems like that's a really hard concept to wrap your mind around. We want to be pleasing to people. We want to be, make people happy. And we want to, you know, we don't want anybody to walk out of our practice because man, that's a patient that why I can't lose a patient. I don't want to lose a patient. What, what, what is in, what is bred into us as optometrists that makes us that way? Bred it into us is a good way to ask that question. I think there's a certain level of crowd psychology that is involved in the way as a whole, as a profession thinks. If I'm a student, um, I remember being a student and I listened to one of my professors who is my teacher, who's giving me the mindset, so to speak, of, an, of what an optometry should think like. And I listened to my professor telling a story of how um, another physician um, called him, a, like he's not a real doctor. The other physician said to him that he was not a real doctor. And, and he said, you know, they don't think we're real doctors, but that's okay if they don't think that way. I mean, you know, what we do is important. But his response to it was somewhat in agreement <laughs> with what the physician said. He didn't say it out loud, but it's as if, that physician was correct because I'm not an MD, I'm an OD. For some reason that makes me lesser of a physician or a professional. And I think we that type of mindset kind of gets transferred into students and students come out thinking the same way and it just keeps the cycle going. And then every now and then there, there are a few people that come out and say, well, I don't care. But that what they think. I, I know what I can do and that's what's important to me. And that's why I'm so passionate about empowerment because I believe as people become more empowered within themselves, um, they will be able to make that identification that I am not no lesser than a person. I don't need to do surgery for me to be a physician. I just need to care for my patients like the Hippocratic Oath said. For me to fall into that category. So this person does that and it's great that they do that. And I respect what they do, but I respect them as a professional, not someone who's superior. So um, I think if we begin to speak that way in the schools and the non-educational conversations and change the tone a little bit, then the students will just adapt whatever we tell them because that's you know, you're a sponge when you're in school. You just learn everything. So that's, that's my opinion on that. No, it's interesting because, you know, I went to school in Oklahoma. And one of the things I feel like they, I mean, they did a lot of things. I felt like they did a very good job. Um, but one of the things that was sort of tantamount was that we never got the sense that we were inferior. There was nobody in that faculty that yeah. ever would have made that, ever would have made that sort of comment like that. Where and it didn't matter, matter if it was the optics, the 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 guy that was an OD PhD that taught optics and never saw patients. His perspective, I think, I think it was it was flowing through that. So I, I agree with you. I think it has to because I I don't know any of my buddies from school. They they have the same perspective that you just described. Yeah. Is that look, I'm a physician. I'm taking care of patients. Do yeah. I do major surgery? No, I do minor procedures that are within my skill set, my knowledge, education, and training. Right. And you know, not there's not somebody above me or below me. We're we're you know we're we're physicians. Right. And um, it's unfortunate that, that that is the case, that, that that sort of stuff comes through in other schools and other training programs. Yeah. Um, it's an interesting thought. Do you think that's common? I mean, you, I think it's common more than just that one experience. Obviously, you, you know, you think that's a problem. So 
I think it's common because I think there are other, especially some of the women that I've, I've spoken to and people that I observe mm-hmm. and the type of comments that I hear, different social media posts, I can see the thread of that mindset in there. And I think mm-hmm. us changing that and understanding the worth of what we do is very important in changing everything in our profession, in my opinion. Do you... Um... Is there a common thread when, when you think about the, the people who, who become members of Optometry Divas? Is there a common thread? Are they all in private practice? Are they all, you know, corporate, I mean, what corporate practices, ODMD? What, what do you, what are your, is your experience? Is there a, a general uh, person that's turning towards you? So the, the people who join Optometry Divas are usually entrepreneurial of some type. They may not be in private practice. Some of them are in corporate leases. Some of them just have a side hustle. Um, but every one of them want to develop something. There, there's something pulling them, something they, they're saying, I want to start up uh, a website and sell frames. I want to do this. So they all have some type of entrepreneurial aspirations, something that they want to do other than just uh, their clinic care. And it's they like the fact that we encourage that, that we encourage they pursue their goals, they pursue whatever is pulling them, it's calling them. And I, I, I personally believe that, that if that desire is inside of you, it's calling you for a purpose. And these type of ODs like the environment that, that you know, we create because it's, environment, it's an environment that's challenging you to grow. You know, we start talking about identifying core values, identifying core beliefs. It makes you start looking inside and thinking about yourself. So instead of um, looking at other people, you turn the mirror towards you. And sometimes when we do that, it's it's challenging, you know, because then you start seeing, ooh, I don't like that. Ooh, I don't like that. But then it helps you appreciate you, the good and the bad, so you can do what you need to do in this world. So people who are passionate about um, expanding their scope like being part of a challenge. Yeah, cool. Do you yeah. think that um, when you think about optometry divas, like what is your goal with that in five years? What is it? What does it look like? What is, you know, what types of things are you doing? So. Optometry Divas, our vision is to establish a chapter in every major city in the U.S. and then some parts of the world because we've gotten, you know, some other ODs in outside of the country. I spoke with someone from South Africa the other day and I was just completely blown away. I, I, I didn't like, wow, that's pretty interesting. But the everybody needs to be empowered and everybody needs to belong somewhere where the energy is positive, is encouraging. One of the things that I'm very adamant about is that we support and uplift each other and not put each other down. Like I'm a mom, right? And as a mom, I have that mom look when I tell my kids, "Uh uh-uh, you can't do that. So I will transfer that over to anyone else in my group who tries to do that because we don't do that here. Here, we encourage each other, uplift each other. So people want to be part of something like that. We want to build a chapter in every major city so we can create that opportunity and give that space where women can come and they can empower each other. They can connect with each other and promote each other's success, like each other's posts, say, way to go, Diva. All right, I'm, I'm supporting you. Buy each mm. other's products, right? 
don't ask for it for free. Buy it. Like every <laughs> one of my friends who come out with something, I buy. I sign up because I'm supporting my own people. You know what I mean? So um, that's, that's our vision is to be able to do that, is to establish that. Is it, chapters. Is it common for, for the mom look? I mean, I, what I mean by that is, is it common? Is it, does it feel weird at first when people come into the group and they don't, they're, they're used to, to having somebody sort of pick on them or be critical or like, is that a weird thing for people to walk into the group and not experience that and really feel like, uh, cause I've heard for, you know, I, I don't know this because I'm not, I'm not a woman, but, um, you know, I've heard from women, like women's worst critics are not men. No. They're other women. Yes. That's, That's true. The That's yes. the case. <laughs> yeah. So is it weird? Is it weird to experience that for people for the first time? Yes. I think a lot of people are kind of unsure. They're, you know, they go, is this, what are you trying weird? to get out of me? Yeah. Like what, what is this all about? I mean, you know, yeah. and <laughs> so they got to come a few times and go, wow, this, this is really, really, really different. And that's one of the things that I get as a feedback a lot is I just love the atmosphere in here and I don't, I feel safe in here. And when we have our live meetings, which is different than our Facebook group, it's crazy the things that come out. You know, you get a group of women together, you're like, oh my God. <laughs> but <laughs> sometimes I'm like, I'm not sure. Should I fly on the wall? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's good that you do a podcast. Safe. <laughs> you do a podcast where you just have a secret mic. Secret mic in the room. Every time we, all us guys get to hear about it. You're <laughs> surprised, you know, because I do ask those type of open-ended questions to get people talking and get them relaxed so we can have fun. We we have a lot of fun when we do optometry divas event. That's that's the first thing. I like for our meetings to be fun. Like um, we have a conference that's coming up in August 13 to 15. And our goal is to <laughs> what did I say? Um exterminate boring CE meeting. <laughs> and so I'll think of the word. It wasn't exterminate, but it was just to put an end to it. And um, eradicate. Was it eradicate? Eradicate. Eradicate. Ah, yes. Eradicate. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you go to CE meetings a lot. And does this ever happen to you? Uh, what? Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> so our goal is to eradicate that. You're going to come energized and you're going to leave energized, not scared about the future of optometry, but excited about the things you can bring to your patients and the new technologies and, and what's new, what's available out there. There's so much that we can do. I mean, we could talk about all the different things that are available to patients that are not covered by insurance. That's within our scope of practice to do. And people are dying for us to tell us to tell them about that. So we make our meetings really, really fun and it creates a relaxed atmosphere for people to just kind of bond and connect, create business partnership, you know, associateships, friendships. So I'm excited about that. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, it reminds me of, um, so about six months ago, um, I, I got invited. So there's a, there's a men's workout group. It's called F3. And I guarantee there's one in, I almost guarantee there's one in Orlando. So what you're talking about sounds a lot like that. And my wife said, my wife said, we need to have like one, something like this for women, because it's basically, you know, it's basically what, what they're trying to do is they're trying to create community, men, community leaders that can rely on each other. But the thing that, the, that, I, that I, when I first went, so it's basically really early in the morning and you grind, you do something that's hard, 
you, you uh, go to a beatdown. You, like you insanity. Have, yeah, kind of like that. Yeah, kind of. But it's but you it's never predictable. It's always led by somebody else. It's completely free. And um, oh, and yeah. then you know there's faith and there's fellowship in it as well. But yeah, you're kind of like at first you're like, what is the ulterior motive, right? And there isn't one. It's just it's just purely about bu- building better communities. Yeah. So so I love this because you know it, we all want different things, right? From from our profession but we do have this common thread and yeah. what you're describing to me seems like a, a same thread that men in the profession want. Yeah. Um, but, but, but it's different because, you know, I mean, I know I'm not supposed to say this, but men and women are different and yeah. you know, you bond differently than I bond, you know, yeah. I bond with my buddies. It's, different. And it's, not a bad it's okay. Thing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I know. Bad. It's not bad. Yeah. Like uh, you see my flowers in the back. There's a red one. And there's a silver one. <laughs> they are different, but they're both beautiful. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, I guess my point in that is that, you know, at first blush, people could say, well, optometry divas, what is this all about? Like, you know, we just need to be focused on the profession and helping patients. But but what when I listen to our, our conversation today, when I listen to what you're telling me, you have the same, I mean, you have the same ultimate goals as, I mean, in general, as what, as what me and a lot of my buddies have, and you're, mm-hmm. you're working toward the process of improving patient access to our care mm-hmm. and allowing us to, to be able to be there to provide them with that care in the same ways that, that we, we're, we care about. Right. Yeah. Um, and so what's the problem? Like, what's the problem with saying, look, um, we're, we're on the same path to, to do all of that. We could just do it. I mean, I'm not saying we need to se- separate it all, but but the, the reality is is that there are room. I think there's the point is there's room for these other little groups that are kind of helping everybody along that path to sort of do the same, to have that ultimate goal, right? Which I think is pretty cool. It's refreshing to hear. Yeah, I mean, I have an outlook, you know, in life, and it comes from my upbringing, my very 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 humble upbringing, and my my parents instilling those values and in my church growing up and being having those values instilled in me as well. Um, There isn't one star in the sky. (laughs) There is multiple billions of stars in the sky and each one of them shine in their own right. So we don't, you know, there's enough for all of us to go around. And I think everybody should just bring that to what's inside of them out because there's someone who needs what you have and who may not need what I have. And that's one of the things we understand in Optometry Diva is not everybody's going to fit, like, belong, or want to be part of our group. And that's okay. It doesn't make them bad people. It doesn't make them uh, enemies. It doesn't mean that they don't like us. It just means that they may have something else that fits them better. And that's what they should do is that and we're always open in that sense or maybe it fits you for the season that you in now and then it comes a time where it's no longer necessary so um you know i've always believed that there isn't just one star in the sky there's so many and it's okay for everybody to shine Dr. Justin, I don't know if I could finish up that with anything else. I'll I'll stop our conversation here. I hope I get to see you in person in Orlando when we're there in a few months. Yeah, and uh, maybe we'll see. Yeah, or or um, are you going to be at the exchange in or in Houston? I don't know. I'm not going to. No, I'm not going to be at the exchange. Okay. Okay. Well, maybe maybe a Vision Expo. Yeah. uh, Anyway, thanks so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. 
Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. It has been my pleasure. And I, I like, I, you know, I like to meet people. I'm glad we got to meet. And man, I would like to see your family of 10. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're, we're all going to be in Orlando. So, oh, so you know, <laughs> yeah. So we, so I'm speaking at, um, um, at Vision Expo East. And, and so we decided like, if I take a half day off on Wednesday, and then the next day is Memorial Day, or the next Monday is Memorial Day, and I take Monday and Tuesday for Tuesday. Wednesday, I've got nine days. about this podcast, Chris. I know I came on and we just jumped in. That's how, actually, that's how I prefer it. I, I, um, so I don't know. I mean, I started doing this over two years ago. We're well into our third year and, and I do it every week and I just like to have conversations with people I think are doing interesting things and just have conversations with them. So wherever our conversation leads and it's been good. I mean, it's been, um, you know, we get, yeah, it's just got, it's developed a really, uh, loyal following. And, um, mm. yeah, I, I, you know, I always, I always walk away. I, I finish, I finish up the conversation and I walk away and I'm like, man, I want to do five more of these, you know, yeah. I just really oh, enjoy doing it. Awesome. You're great at yeah. it too. You're great into it. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Cause thanks. You, you, you actually follow, you go with me in the interview mm. and you don't have an agenda of questions you wanted to ask me which makes it so authentic. So it's really a conversation. So thanks. great job. Thanks. Yeah. I, thanks. I, I, um, it, it, I always think, I think podcasts are a unique form for that. You know, maybe I'm wrong, but I, when I hear podcasts where I can tell that somebody's asking a question 
and waiting for an answer and then asking another unrelated questions. Like that's not the form for a podcast. Yeah. My opinion, not one I want to listen to. So I just try to do something that I would want to listen to and hopefully other people want to also. And I really, I mean, yeah, it's just fun. That's it's fun because yeah. our profession is so cool. I mean, we've yeah. got, you know, it's, and it's, and it's, even though it's a small profession, it's pretty diverse. And, you know, you don't see that with other, like, like I'll just say, you know, ophthalmology, I've never, I've never met um, an ophthalmologist that doesn't look at like the ophthalmologist down the street as a competitor. Yeah. And, you know, and, and by and large, like, yeah, we kind of, there's some people that we might say, yeah, they're a competitor, they're a competitor, but by and large, like our profession, not really like that. You yeah, know? I'm friends with all the ODs uh, within five miles radius. From me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. so, I mean, that's, that's really unique, you know, yeah, it's really true. unique. Um, and so it's just fun because we, we've got, and it's good people, you know, people are really yeah. good and you just, you get to listen to those stories and it's, I don't know, it's just fun. Yeah. 